Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at the first eight verses of the Gospel of Mark this morning. I look forward to preaching to you this morning uh, from Mark and a couple Sundays preaching to you from the book of Titus. A sandwich in between there. Uh, next Sunday, we have a treat. Uh, Paul Hahn, who is the coordinator for MNA, that's Mission to North America. It's the church planning and church revitalization arm of the PCA. He'll be preaching here in this pulpit. Uh, Paul uh, and his wife, Fran, are, are dear, dear friends of mine. Uh, Paul uh, married Lauren and me. Uh, he was planning a church in Knoxville, Tennessee when I was doing my undergrad there and when I did uh, campus ministry for a few years after college. I have spent many, many hours in Paul's home. Uh, Paul, when I would preach on a Wednesday night for my campus ministry meeting, often the days prior, I would go to his office and pester him, hey, I, this is the way I'm gonna, I think I'm going to preach this passage. Help, help me try to figure this out. So in a lot of ways, he taught me how to preach, and Paul is just a, a dear friend, dear man, uh, and I know you'll enjoy hearing from him next Sunday. The book of Mark, just a few opening comments about the book before I, before I dive into the into reading it. It's the shortest of the Gospels. You probably know that. It's only 16 chapters long. John is the longest Gospel, or excuse me, Luke is the longest Gospel. It has fewer chapters than John, but it has more verses, uh, 24 chapters in Luke. Mark is is the quick, fast-paced version. Not a lot of details. You go to Luke and and Matthew to to get more of the story oftentimes in, in one of the Gospel narratives. Mark just gets right to the point. This is what we think, Peter's gospel. Peter, his eyewitness account, speaking it to Mark, and Mark wrote these things down. It gets right to who Jesus is and what he has come to do. This is the first eight verses now of the gospel of Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Then all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We ask now that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word, that we might receive it with gladness. Thank you how this passage points us to Christ and that we would look to him in all things. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. How many times you've been watching television or maybe scrolling through your social media feed and you see breaking news. (coughs) Breaking news, your favorite player on your favorite team is now hurt and out for the season. Breaking news, something bad has happened. Breaking news, severe weather is in your area. You need to take shelter because there's a tornado or there's a thunderstorm warning. Or you think of situations from the past. Breaking news. President John F. Kennedy has been assassinated. Breaking news. There's a white Bronco cruising down a Los Angeles freeway. 
Breaking news, planes have been flown into the Twin Towers in New York City. Typically, when we think breaking news, we think bad news. Not, yay, I'm so glad. It's, oh, breaking news, negative news. Gospel of Mark begins with breaking news. Mark has breaking news for you. He, he starts it in much the same way the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist's message was indeed breaking news. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. 400 years, we haven't gotten a word from God. It's been silent since the time of the prophets. And now, breaking news world, he's here. The Messiah that we've wanted to come, that we've been expecting. John the Baptist says, I'm preparing the way for him. He's about to step on stage of ministry. It's about to begin. It's about to commence, if you will. Breaking news in this time is good news. It's great news. John the Baptist is the prophetic voice that Isaiah has prophesied about in verses 2 and 3. The best news is here. The beginning of the gospel. He starts his whole gospel this way. Gospel, as you know, means good news or good message. However, this term was used in biblical times a little bit differently than the way we use it. Something was considered gospel, and then it was some earth-shattering event or epic-making event, as it's sometimes said. The birth of a new emperor was gospel news to the people. Something that was going to change the world. We wouldn't be the same after this event took place. Mark's using it in that kind of way. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This event is happening. We'll never be the same because of it. He makes it clear that this person that's come, Jesus, he's, there's continuity. He's connecting to the past. He's a fulfillment of prophecy. He's now come. He will change everything from this point forward. Who is he? Well, Mark doesn't waste a lot of time in telling us. He's the Son of God. The first half of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus demonstrating his power. His stories about him healing someone who's infirmed. He's casting out a demon. He's cleansing someone from leprosy. Jesus is powerful. The second half of the Gospel of Mark, it's he turns his face to Jerusalem. He's now walking this lowly path to go to the cross. It's powerful nonetheless, but it's different. He's now showing you the mission, the passion of Jesus and of the King. John Mark is the author. That's his full name. It's Peter's Gospel, as I said. It's Peter's eyewitness account of the things that he heard from the perspective that he had. Mark would go on and accompany Paul in his missionary journey. He would abandon Paul. They'd have a falling out. Barnabas would grab Mark and take him on a missionary journey of their own. And then you have a sweet exchange at the very end of 2 Timothy, the end of Paul's life, when he's asking that people come and see him. Timothy, get Mark. I want to see him. Have this wonderful, somehow, this wonderful reconciliation between these two. The first of the written Gospels is unique. There's no genealogy in Mark. When you, when it glad, you were glad not to have to read through a genealogy when you got to Mark. There's no genealogy. There's no birth narrative. There's no setup. We're not ex- there's no explanation given of where John the Baptist came from or even where Jesus came from. It's just, all right, let's get to it. It's time to start telling you the Gospel story. It starts with the voice of one crying in the wilderness the one that was preparing the way for Jesus. And that's the ministry of John the Baptist. It's three things. 
His ministry, first of all, was to prepare the way for Jesus. He uses that language, or that language is used in the passage. John the Baptist is doing what the sergeant-at-arms does for the president when he comes to give the State of the Union. The president shows up at the Capitol building, he walks to the doors of the House chamber, and he waits. <coughs> the doors swing open, and before the president steps into the House chamber, the sergeant-at-arms exclaims, as he will, I assume, sometime this spring, Mrs. Speaker, the President of the United States. President Trump will enter into the House chamber, he'll walk the narrow walkway up onto the platform, and he'll deliver the State of the Union. He'll receive handshakes from some and harsh glares from others, right? It, it, he will come in to tell the State of the Union to the people. It's essentially what John the Baptist is doing. He has an announcement. He has breaking news. The Lord Jesus is here. The Son of God, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, he's here, world. <laughs> Turn to him. Look to him and believe in him. John the Baptist is announcing to the world something new has come. It's not changing the old, it's fulfilling the old, but it's new, and you need to believe in it and see it. John the Baptist came to prepare for Jesus and even share the same message that Jesus was going to share. Jesus is the message, and he's the messenger, and the news is good. The good news of Jesus Christ is inseparably bound up with the preparation that John the Baptist is bringing. Jesus needed John the Baptist, quite frankly. He introduced Jesus. He set the stage. Jesus was the purpose of John the Baptist's life. All four of the Gospels acknowledge this. The prophetic voice that had been silent for 400 years is now speaks again in John, the, literally John the Baptizer. He knew that he was the man, Elijah of Malachi 4. The very description made of the clothing and what John the Baptist ate, the same description is made of, of Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 1. <coughs> and the message John the Baptist brings is this. A new exodus has come, a new beginning, a fresh start. Doesn't a second chance sound nice to you? It sounds nice. Or maybe a third or fourth or a tenth. But I can assure you, if you got your tenth chance, that you would still be dead in your trespasses and sins. The good news is not that Jesus gives us a second chance. He didn't come for that. You would mess up your life in new and epic ways if you got a second chance. He didn't come to give that. He came to give an entirely new beginning altogether. Israel had sinned, an entire generation of people had died in the desert. And now Jesus, the true Son of God, the true Israel, if you will, he's going to go out into the wilderness. He doesn't need to repent, but he's going to identify with God's people in the baptism of repentance. He's going to go out to the wilderness. He's going to be tempted by Satan, just like Adam was. But this time, the true Adam, the second Adam, will not disobey. He will pass all the tests perfectly. He will be perfect. And now John the Baptist has said, here he is. You were unfaithful, Jesus is faithful. His story is going to overwrite yours, as it were. He is righteous and perfect and good. Look to him. It's not a do-over, maybe you'll do better this time. It's, no, you don't need it. you won't be able to do better this time. You need to look to Jesus. First prayer that's what you need and I need. I don't, I don't need a second chance. It'd be the same. You need a better story and a better representative. You need the one for whom John the Baptist is preparing the way.
Secondly, John the Baptist proclaims the message of Jesus. What's John the Baptist's message, essentially? Repent and believe. Jesus, in verses 14 and 15, is going to say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Message is the same. Repent of your sins and turn away from them. And as you're turning away from that sin, turn towards Jesus in faith. John the Baptist is calling the people out. You see, they're all in Israel, and he's saying, come away from Israel. and Come out to the Jordan River. This is high, it's lost on us, highly symbolic for them. The Jordan River features itself many times in the history of Israel. Genesis chapter 13, Lot and Abraham, they, they've, they got too much stuff and too many servants. It's time for them to part ways. Lot chooses the plain of the Jordan. Jacob sees Esau coming. He crosses the Jordan River to go and meet his brother. Joshua chapter 3, the, the waters are parted of the Jordan River. Israel walks through the Jordan and into the Promised Land for the first time as a nation. The ministry of Elijah and Elisha is focused on the Jordan River area. In fact, Elisha tells Naaman, the Syrian army commander, to go dip himself in the Jordan River so that he might be cleaned of his leprosy. The lights are going off for Israel when they hear Jordan River. Significant, a lot of stuff in our past has happened there. Maybe this is, what's symbolic here? Well, here's what's symbolic. They were going back out to the place they had failed. And now it's time to renew yourself again to what God is doing. And it's not just a change of your attitude that is that. It's a change of all of who you are, the way you think and the way you act. It's repenting. They would not have failed to miss this. The prophets continually called the people of God to repent. And they'd kind of do it, but not really. John the Baptist, another prophet, is calling them to un unto repentance. To turn away. The, they return to a place of judgment, the wilderness, where the status of Israel as God's son was made. Now, put down your pride and follow God again. The willingness to return to the wilderness is saying we have been disobedient and we have been rebellious. Lord, we want to begin again with you. What is repentance unto life? The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines it for us. What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, first, out of a true sense of his sin. That's what repentance is, a true sense of your sin. It's not just a bunch of disconnected things that you do that happen to be wrong. It's, it, it comes out of your heart. And you have a true sense of that. That which is within me apart from Christ is black and ugly and dirty. And it's a true sense of that. But that's not all. It's a true sense of your sin and apprehension of the mercy of God. So it's not if I confess this and I make known my sins and this angry father is, I can't believe you did that. It's it's an apprehension of the mercy of God. The God that you come to will be merciful to you. He loves you. He wants you to, to confess your sins and seek forgiveness. You do with the grief and hatred of your sin, you turn from it unto God. I'm continuing here with the definition of repentance unto life. In other words, repentance is where it all begins. It's not to deny election or predestination or Regeneration, those are passive things for us. But the active obedience, the active 
relationship begins at repentance. I've got to renounce what I was and look to Jesus for what I now am. I don't doubt that many of us in here, you feel very beat down about your life. You're discouraged. You feel guilt and shame and self-loathing, perhaps. You need to know that you can be okay even when you don't feel okay. It's good news to hear that God loves us in Christ and that we are precious in His sight. We need that. We need that language to us, and it's true. But the gospel is more than this. It's more than just the positive side. Chip has reminded us many times the bad news and good news of the gospel. The bad news of our sinfulness, it points us to the good news of how we are loved in Jesus Christ. But it's got to be both. It's repentance and faith. We talk about it in theological textbooks like it's two sides of one coin. It's repentance and faith. If you see repentance, it implies faith. If you see faith, it implies repentance. You can't have one without the other. John the Baptist is preparing God's people with the same message that Jesus is going to preach. Repent and believe. So he summons them to start over again. Back where the story all began. Back out on the banks of the Jordan River. Come back through the waters again. You know what, Israel? You made a mess of everything. So why don't you come back out again? Let's go through these waters again. Let's repent again. And let's go back in there. But this time, let's look to Jesus. You're not a victim of your circumstances, Israel. You're a sinner who needs grace. You're guilty and condemned, but Christ will make you clean. You know, some of us need this wake-up call this morning. I don't know if you're an early riser. I'm an early riser. Uh, Lauren's even an earlier riser than I am. We, we get up early in the morning. But even still, we have to set our alarm clock, and no one likes the alarm clock at all. Now, by alarm clock, sometimes I mean the alarm that I set on my phone. Other times, by alarm, I mean a little four-year-old who comes to my room and swings open the bedroom door that goes crashing into my bedside table. That's the alarm clock. It's not a very polite way to wake someone up. And he'll take his index finger and, Daddy, I need you. Sometimes it's here, but normally it's, Daddy, I need you. Or, Daddy, I can't sleep very well. I say, well, I'll tell you you can't sleep very well. It's me because you just woke me up. John the Baptist, wake up, Israel. Wake up. He's here. Jesus is here. Repent and turn from your sins and believe in him. If you're not a Christian this morning and you're here, I'm glad that you're here. But know that the Christian life, step number one, is repentance. It's, step number one is not, hey, aren't we all great and doing so well and, and proud about our goodness? No, it's I am a sinner who needs God's mercy. That's step number one. First Pres, I have more breaking news for you this morning. You're still a sinner that needs God's grace. You may have repented once unto salvation. You need to keep repenting. Lord, help me to put away the old person and to live more joyfully for, with you and for you and in your strength. Help me to know that I'm building your kingdom, not mine. I'm to be about your glory and what you want in this world, not about what I want. It's time that we be honest about ourselves, to repent of our sins and believe in the wonderful gospel and that he will remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. 
Thirdly and lastly, John the Baptist was pointing people to Jesus. You know, after the first of the year starts award season, I don't know if y'all watch the award show. I don't watch the award show, but I'm mentioning it for the, for the sake of the illustration. You got the, you know, the Screen Actors Guild, the, the Emmy Awards, the Daytime Emmy Awards, the, the Golden Globes and the Oscars, all these award shows. Who's going to get the big awards? Who's going to win Best Picture? Who's going to win Best Actor or Actress? But what's the other award? It's still a significant award, but maybe a lesser. Best Actor or Actress in a Supporting Role. Y'all know they give out that award every year. It's a lesser role in a movie, but it's still important. They bolster the main, you know, the main actor or actress. Throughout history, people who do great things have always had someone beside them who played a critical role in their life and success. It's a lesser role, but an important one. You know, at the sake of sounding somewhat irreverent, John the Baptist played that supporting role for Jesus. Jesus needed John the Baptist, humanly speaking. Needed him to set things up to prepare, to proclaim the same message, and then to point everyone to him. Jesus, in fact, will say of John the Baptist, of all men born of women, John the Baptist is the greatest. He's always pointing away from himself. He's never saying, look at me and what I've done. He's saying, look at Jesus and who he is and what he's done. He says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. John the Baptist is the forerunner, the supporting role. And he says, don't look at me, look at Jesus. But it says in our passage that everyone's flocking to John the Baptist's ministry. It says, all Judea and all Jerusalem are coming out to John. Well, that doesn't mean literally all, everyone. That's the way all is often used in the Gospels. It doesn't mean every individual person. It just means a lot of people. You know, the Pharisees say of Jesus in John 12, the whole world has gone after Jesus. Well, I didn't literally mean the whole world. They mean all types of people, and a lot of people came to him. Everyone's talking about John the Baptist's ministry. And he says, no, don't, don't talk about me. Don't pay attention to me. My only function here is to point you, as John says it, to the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. I just have some preached words and baptismal water. That's all I've got. He has got the Holy Spirit. I can clean you up. He can truly clean you out. He can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He has the real thing because he is the real thing. I baptize you with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Go to Jesus. What does he mean by baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, Matthew and Luke's account adds, baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. They add that on there. It's talking about Pentecost. The disciples would go to, into Jerusalem. Jesus says, stay there until the Holy Spirit comes. And indeed, the Holy Spirit does come, descends on them, and little tongues of fire descend down on them. That's the fulfillment of this. So now, they can go out and carry out the Great Commission. John the Baptist now has played his part in the kingdom of God. He is prepared, he is proclaimed, and now he is pointing literally to Jesus, who's also come out into the wilderness to be baptized. That would be what the next section would be about. John says, there he is. Look to him. Go to him. Receive the waters that he now speaks of. 
And we mustn't think that going out to the Jordan River, as it were, that we're guaranteed the new life that John is talking about because it's repentance and it's faith. John is shining a light onto Jesus and saying, trust in him, believe in him. In other words, don't just feel bad about your sin. Don't just confess your sin. Don't just develop some new habits. That's repentance language. It's got to be, now, look to Christ. If we stop there, the thought might be, okay, I'll do better next time, or I'll, okay, I need some more willpower, and, I, you know, come on, Andy, you can do this next time. But you can't. It's confess and repent of your sin and trust in Christ who's perfect for you. That's what we must say. It's exactly what John the Baptist was doing. He thunders about the law, and then he points them to Christ. Repent of your sins, now there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The preaching office is no different for you, or should be no different. Today, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare your hearts for the Lord who has come. You know, sometimes I think we believe that the role of the pastor is to fix all the problems in the church. The role of the the pastor is to convert everybody and make sure everyone's plugged into a discipleship ministry. Maybe that's an extension of what the pastors do, but the main role of the pastor is to tell you, first prayers, repent of your sins and look to Jesus. To assure you week after week that if you do so, your sins have been forgiven and now you ought never to fear condemnation. To remind you again and again that your performance is not what saves you. We live in such a performance culture, don't we? There's always a report card, there's always a grade, there's always an evaluation, there's always a review, there's always a standard. Now, in part, we understand this because we live in a fallen, sinful world, and we need that accountability. not saying it's all bad. One month you exceed your sales quota of all the months prior, the best that you've ever done, and your boss looks at you and says, great job, now how are you going to break it next month? I see that you build more hours this month than you ever have before. That's wonderful. How are you going to better that now? Congratulations on your promotion. Congratulations on your raise. Now, here's what you need to do to get to the next level. And inevitably, that seeps into our Christianity. But it's not based on your grades. It's not based on your performance. It's based on Christ's performance and looking to him by faith. One day, John the Baptist's disciples come running up to him, and they're upset. They say, Jesus is now calling people to be baptized, and more people are starting to follow him than are following you. And John the Baptist says in John chapter 3, I'm not the Christ. Did I not tell you that I would introduce you to one who is greater than I? Did I not tell you that I introduce you to one that I'm not even worthy enough to do the slave stuff for him by bending down and untying his sandals? Guys, didn't I tell you that? Didn't I tell you that I was to decrease so that he might increase? It it may be a trite way to say this question, but I think it's right. Who is at the center stage of your life and your heart? Who do you think is at the center stage in life of this church? Is it Jesus? Are you seeking how you might decrease and that he might increase? Christ Covenant Church in Charlotte, you walk into the front doors of the church and you walk into this huge lobby 
And right before you walk into their worship center or sanctuary, written in huge letters above their sanctuary, is Colossians chapter 1, verse 8. That in all things, Christ might be preeminent. Might have the first place. That in all things, Christ might be preeminent. That we would have that same thought. Is Christ preeminent in my life? In my thoughts and the things we do here at First Pres, is, is he preeminent? He needs to be. Am I preparing others to meet Jesus? What a magnificent man in life is the man John the Baptist. He's ex- he is calling us to do today exactly what he did. To call others to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, you may have been coming to First Pres for a long time. Or maybe you've just been coming for a few weeks. And you've found, I hope, a lot of comfort in the songs that we sing, in the prayers that we pray, in the sermons that you've heard. You've been, very, you've been welcomed by our welcome team. You have enjoyed the community that you've found in our Sunday school classes. I hope all that is true. And that's good. We need all that. But you see that what John the Baptist is calling these people to do, and what I'm calling you to do today is, is to do more than just come and be a part of what we're doing. No doubt you've been introduced to Jesus through the life and ministry of others and through the preached word. But it would be a shame, in fact, it would be wrong to just come and be a part of what we're doing and not look to Jesus, to not be pointed to him, to not give yourself completely unto him, to ask how you might decrease so that he might increase in your life. What a dreadful tragedy it would have been for Israel to come to the Jordan and to be baptized, but totally dismiss this person that John the Baptist was pointing them to. They would have missed everything, quite frankly. The alarm is sounding. John the Baptist has breaking news. Jesus is here and he is available. Indeed, there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, but the name Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, the gospel truly is simple. It's simple and it's beautiful. We would trust in you. We would repent of our sins and believe in you. But Lord, we have a hard time doing that. We're sinful. We want our own kingdoms to flourish and shine. But Lord, we would seek the ways that we could exalt you and make you have the first place in our lives and in all that we do. Thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to us. Thank you for creating in us people that love you and desire to follow you. Lord, would you forgive us of our sins and help us to walk in the paths of righteousness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.